I'm going to read you a verse from the Bible. Two verses, actually. The first verse, you don't need to turn to it. I'm going to read it anyway. But if you want to look at it, it's Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And it's page 1222. 1222 in my Bible. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And this is a little bit of the Christmas story. And it says this in verse 8. Luke 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds in that country, abiding without and keeping watch by night over their flock. And lo, an angel of the Lord was there by them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they feared with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I announce to you glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For today a Saviour has been born to you in David's city, which is Christ the Lord. And another verse in John's Gospel and chapter 10, it's page 1282. It's really short, you don't need to find it. John's Gospel, chapter 10, page 1282. And Jesus said, in verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door, I am the door. If anyone enter in by me, he shall be saved. That first passage that I read to you, that first of the scripture, is part of the Christmas story that lots of people read and talk about at this time of the year, about how Jesus was born in Bethlehem as a little baby in a manger. It's one of the world's most famous stories. The bit I read to you was part of the announcements that came from heaven. Angels spoke from heaven with a message saying, there's going to be a baby born who's God's son, and he's going to be a saviour. The angel said, behold, I announced you glad tidings, that means good news. I announced you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. And I just want you to hold on to that thought for a few minutes, while we just think about the joy that Jesus brought. The joy. A few weeks ago, well not that long actually, a couple of weeks ago, I was holding my baby nephew in my arms. He's about four months old. Uh, a lot of babies, it's up to you, you can think what you like, it, it's usually someone else's baby. Uh, a lot of babies aren't that good looking, I know if you've noticed. Their parents think they look great, but you look at them and you think, mm, hope it grows up alright. Now this little baby, just for once, I held it in my arms, and I looked at it, and I thought, whoa, it looks perfect, just for once. And I thought the opposite thing. I thought, if it starts out like this, I hope it goes up okay, doesn't change. It was lovely. And I was well aware, as I held this little baby, I was happy. And just holding that little baby brought me joy. It's true all over the world every day. Little babies bring joy. And when Jesus was born as a little baby at Bethlehem, it brought joy. People held him in their arms, this little baby. There's a story, I'm not going to read it to you, there's a story about how a few days after he was born he went up to Jerusalem and a man called Simeon held the little baby Jesus in his arms. And you can read in the Bible what Simeon said and you can feel the joy that Simeon had 
You're holding this little baby. The angel said when Jesus was born, he's bringing great joy. Great joy. I just want you to think about a few things that happened in Jesus' life that brought joy. So, if you skip on 30 years in Jesus' life, when he's about 30 years old, Jesus starts to teach and preach. This is 2,000 years ago now. And people start to listen to him and watch what he's doing. And some people follow him and some people criticize him. But some of the things that he did were amazing. Right, this is one. Don't turn to it, right? I'll just turn to it myself. Luke's Gospel and chapter 6. The man who wrote Luke's Gospel tells us the story about the time when Jesus went into a synagogue somewhere in Israel. I assume it was in Capernaum or somewhere like that up in the north of Israel. And he was there on the Sabbath day, the Jews' special religious day. It was a Saturday when they weren't allowed to do any work. And Luke says that in the synagogue on that day, people were watching Jesus to see what he would do. Because there was a man there whose hand, the Bible says, was withered up. I don't know exactly what that means. I assume it was deformed, scrunched up in some way, so that he couldn't use it. And Luke says the people in the synagogue were watching Jesus to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath day. So that they could say, you're doing something that's wrong. You shouldn't heal on the Sabbath. They were watching him. And Luke says, Jesus knew they were watching. And he looked around the synagogue. And then he said to the man, stand up. Stand up. And they all looked at this man with his hand. And Jesus says to everybody, is it right to do good or to do evil? Is it right today to do good or to do evil? Nobody knew what to say. And then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand. And that dried up, withered hand, it just became well. Just like that. Luke says afterwards, the people, the, the, the authorities, the people in charge, they were angry with Jesus for doing that on that day. I swear they were. But I've been thinking these last few weeks on and off about that man. He, he, what did he do when he went home that night? As he, as he sat, sat in his house that night and, and he looked at his hands. And they were both the same. But how did he feel? The angel said Jesus would bring great joy. How did that man feel? All he'd done was stretch out his hand when Jesus said, and, and now look, it's the same. Jesus brings great joy. Another gospel was written by a man called John. And John writes pretty much a whole chapter about a man who was blind from birth. From birth. A man, he says, who had never seen anything at all. And then one day, Jesus came by. And Jesus, he didn't just speak to the man. I can't quite imagine. I don't know if you've ever tried this, right? Try to imagine what it's like to be blind. I was talking to my dad at lunchtime. He said, he said, son, I can't see in the distance. I can't see in the medium distance now either. And my sight up close is going. I can't imagine what it's like, though, to be born in darkness and never see anything. 
That's what this man was like. And he heard Jesus spit on the ground. Somehow he heard Jesus do something down there on the ground. And then he felt Jesus' fingers on his eyes, the gospel says. As Jesus smeared the mud on the ground that he'd made with his spit. He just smeared it on this man's eyes. And then this blind man heard Jesus say, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And somehow this man found his way to this pool in Jerusalem. Just a pool of ordinary water, nothing special about it. And as he washed away the mud from his eyes, he could see. For the first time in his life he could see. I don't know if you ever do this, but if I'm travelling in the car as a passenger, not from driving, we've got one of those blackout masks that you, you, I think they sell them for aeroplanes, that you can put on your eyes. And if you put it on there, the world goes dark and you can't see and you can sleep while someone else drives. Well, sometimes I wear those and I take them off when you wake up and the light comes and you're dazzled for a moment and you look around and I think about this man long ago. Can you imagine opening your eyes for the first time and seeing light, colour, people, movement? Seeing the colours of nature. Seeing what the people around you look like. Seeing what food looked like. Can you imagine it for him? That first time, it's beyond imagining, isn't it? Can you imagine what it was like inside him as he saw it? The angel said, this little baby when he grows up is going to bring great joy. What was it like for that man that day? When he could see for the first time. He walked very quickly into a barrage of criticism. People said, who's done this? Oh, you did it on the Sabbath again. Who's done this? This isn't possible. This can't happen. And the man said, a man called Jesus. He made mud, put it on my eyes, sent me to wash it off, and now I see. He said, that's my story. And they said, it can't happen. But it had. And they threw him out of their synagogue. And then the Bible says, Jesus came and found him and spoke to him. He could see now the man that had made him well. You see, Jesus brought great joy. There's countless stories of this in the New Testament. I'll give you one more. The Bible tells the story about four men who had a friend. We don't know his name, but he was paralysed. There's four Gospels in the, in the New Testament written by people called Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And three of them bothered to tell you the same story. It made such an impact. These four men, they brought their friend who was paralysed. He couldn't move. It seems he was lying on some sort of stretcher and they carried him on that. The Bible sometimes calls it a bed or a little couch or something like that, depending on which translation you've got. But it must have been some sort of stretcher. And they brought him to Jesus. But Jesus was teaching. And he was teaching indoors, inside a house. And the house was packed. Absolutely round. There was no room to bring this man on his stretcher in. But his friends thought, no, he's paralysed. We need him to get to Jesus. We want him healed. And we think Jesus can do it. So they took him, the Bible says, up onto the roof of the house. And they started to dig a hole in the roof of the house. It wasn't their house. 
I wonder what the person who owned it thought about it afterwards. They started to dig a hole. And I like to think of Jesus downstairs inside in this room full of people teaching. And his words slowly going quieter as they realised something was happening on the roof. And then the noise up there became a hole. And the dust came down and bits of roof started dropping on people inside. And the hole got bigger and bigger until they could see four people peering down. And the hole got bigger until it was large enough to lower a man on his stretcher right down into the middle of the room. Right down in front of Jesus. This man couldn't move. He was paralysed. He was relying on his friends and they lowered him right down there in front of Jesus for Jesus to heal. And then the Bible says something which they didn't expect. Jesus didn't heal him. Not straight away. He said something to this man lying there on his couch which they weren't expecting. He said, man, your sins are forgiven. Nothing happened. He stayed paralysed. Man, your sins are forgiven. And then in the quietness of that hall, that room, that, that house, there must have been a murmuring of conversation as people, the gospel writers say, people started to say, what, what's this? No one can forgive sins except God. A man can't forgive sins. Jesus can't do that. And Jesus listened to them. And he said, wait, it's like this. What's more difficult to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? And he said, but so that you might know that the Son of Man himself has power on earth to forgive sins, I will also say to this man, rise up and walk. And as he said to the man, rise up and walk, he got up. Jesus said, take your couch, a stretcher, whatever it is, take it, walk, go home. Can you imagine what that man was like? As he's lying there, first he hears Jesus say to him, your sins are forgiven. And his head's probably in a whirl going, what does that mean? And then he hears Jesus say to him, get up and walk. And somehow he finds that his arms are moving and his legs are moving. And he got up and he picked up his bed. They must have parted in that room. People must have pressed back to let him out. As he took his little bed, his little couch, his stretcher, and he walked out and he went home. The angel said, Jesus is going to bring great joy. What was that man like that night? It could move his arms. It could move his legs. It could go wherever he wanted. You know what that's like? It could be the same as his four friends. It could have a normal life. Just because of some words that Jesus had spoken to him. But you know, if you look at the story, you find it got something better. Something that his friends hadn't got. They could walk. And they could talk. And they could speak. And they could move. And he could do all of that too. But Jesus had said to him something else. He said, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus is right. When he said to that man in that room, your sins are forgiven, nothing happened that they could see. When you say to someone, get up and walk, you can see that they're healed. When you say to someone, your sins are forgiven, what happens? You don't see anything. That man had to believe that what Jesus said 
was true. He had to accept it as being true. Believe it. He had to accept Jesus' word for it. It's called believing. Jesus said your sins are forgiven. And they were forgiven. And that man believed it in his heart. You see, sins are strange things. Sins are the things that you and I accumulate in our lives. The little things that we do wrong. Unintentionally, but we just do them wrong. The people that we hurt. The selfish moments, the pride moments, the lustful moments. All the stuff that we do that's wrong, we accumulate it. And it keeps us from God. But Jesus said to that man, all yours. All your sins, they're gone. They're forgiven. And as you read through the pages of the Bible, you discover something else. You discover that the Bible teaches that sins are not forgiven just with words. They're not. If you think about a justice, somebody does something wrong, there's a price to pay for it. That's what's written right through the Bible. Everything that somebody does that's wrong, there's a price that has to be paid for it. And Jesus taught more than anybody else that that price is paid on the other side of death. That when you die, it's not the end. You'll find yourself alive on the other side of death, is what Jesus taught. And you're carrying with you all the stuff you've done in this life, and God will judge you for it. But here's where the great joy peace comes. Jesus said to this man, and he'll say it to you if you want to hear it, your sins, they're forgiven. You're not carrying that baggage anymore. You can go free. It's because somebody else paid the price for that man's sins. The story of Jesus' life ends at Jerusalem when he was 33. And he was crucified. Just very quickly, I'll give you three ways to look at that. Right, One way is the obvious way. The Bible tells you a story which basically tells you that he was murdered. Executed. The Bible calls the people that killed Jesus murderers. Because they knew he was innocent. The judge, Pilate, he said, this man is innocent. He's done nothing wrong. And still he crucified him. He was murdered. The nails that went through his hands and through his feet when they hung him from a cross were real. The crown of thorns on his head was real. The spear that went into his side was real. And the blood that flowed from his back, from his head, from his side was real. And his death was real. Jesus was a real person. And his death was horrible. And it was real. And he was killed. Here's a second way to look at that story. If you read what Jesus said beforehand, he knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. He told his followers, his disciples over and over again, that it was coming and it would happen like this. And then you read the details of what Jesus did when he was on trial. And he didn't argue. He didn't defend himself. He accepted what they did. And then you see what he did on the cross and listen to the words that he spoke. And he said things like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's finished. And then right at the end, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Okay, they weren't words that were spoken in English. They were spoken in the language that he used at that time. But he said it and he gave up his own life at the end. So whilst men tried to murder him, he offered his own life. For what? Oh, you find that as you turn the pages of Scripture. What Jesus did, 
was he offered himself instead of you and me, if we want him. He offered to take the penalty of every single thing you've done wrong on himself and take it away completely. That's the offer in the Bible. It has been now for 2,000 years. It's still there tonight. If you're troubled inside, if your conscience bothers you, if the stuff that you've done that's wrong, if there's, if there's feels like an enormous distance between you and God, Jesus' offer to you tonight is I'll take all that away. I'll give you peace inside. I'll bring you joy. The angel said, great joy. This baby will bring great joy. This is a greater joy than being healed, being forgiven. It brings a greater peace inside than a healing, being forgiven. There's nothing like it. I read you this verse at the end where Jesus said, he said, I'm the door. I'm the door. What did he mean? It's not really very hard to understand, is it? There's a door over there. It's open at the moment. That's how you came in. If you wanted to come into this room, you come in through that door. Jesus says, if you want to know God, he says, I'm the door. Jesus is the door. You have to come through me. There's a million religions in this world. There's a million people telling you all sorts of different things. From, from, from there's multiple gods to there's no God at all to that you can never tell. Every voice that you can imagine is out there. Jesus says, you can tell. I'm the door. I'm the way. Uh, he, says, he says, I am the way and the life and the truth. There is no way to the Father except by me. I'm the only way, he said to God. But he is the way. He is the way. I've nearly finished, don't worry. Do you know how you get to Jesus and find that and walk through that door? It's a really simple thing. You can do it with your eyes open or with your eyes closed. You can do it whenever. You don't need to be in a special place or in a church or anywhere. You just say to Jesus from your heart, Lord, please forgive me my sins and let your sacrifice on that cross, let it be for me. <coughs> He's the door. He's not telling you you have to lead a good life to go to heaven. He's saying you have to come to me and ask for forgiveness and accept what I've done. I'm the door. He's bringing great joy. One short thing, and then I'm done. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and she got married last year. And she's Christian. And um, at her wedding, somebody said to her, one of your cousins over there, they've just got saved. They've just, here at the wedding, come to know Jesus for the first time. And she thought, she said it herself, she thought, nah, I'm the bride. My cousin's just trying to take a bit of the limelight out of my day. <laughs> So she went and she talked to her cousin and her cousin said, no, it's true. It's true. Today, here at your wedding reception, I've asked Jesus to forgive me and I've got peace. And my friend said, well, why today of all days? You've heard the, you've heard the message about Jesus so many times, why pick my wedding day? And she mentioned nicely. And her cousin said to her, well, it's actually because somebody asked me if I'd like to invite Jesus into my life. Nobody's actually asked me that before. 
They just told me about Jesus. But today somebody said to me, well, will you have Jesus? Will you have him now? Will you let him in? And she said, I closed my eyes and prayed, and I got peace. So I'm asking you, just to finish, will you? Will you let Jesus in? Will you close your eyes just for a second and say, forgive me, please, Lord. Forgive me everything and let your sacrifice be for me. Because it's here. You'll get joy and you'll get peace and you'll get Jesus. Now.